Welcome to the After Magazines Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bruno, coming at you as always from my home here in beautiful South Orange, New Jersey. Got a cool episode for you today. We're speaking with Ms. Stacy Statterman, career coach and former magazine vet herself. Stacy worked on the business side for uh, Time Inc., Condé, Fast Company, a couple others. As a vet of the industry, Stacy's very familiar with the industry itself, some of the challenges it's gone through, and some of the challenges that some of the folks in it are going through that has them look to another field as she did. Her pivot journey started out with a career coach, where she mapped out what she wanted to do, what she loved about work, what she wanted to do less of. She came to the realization that being a career coach herself, starting her own business and helping people, was a great way to face the intersection of personal disruption and industry disruption that she and a lot of us are facing. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Stacy's a really great person to talk to. She deals with people making career pivots every day. She helps them figure out what they really want to do and steers them towards actually taking action and getting it done. She also has a great deal of respect and knowledge of people in the magazine industry. One of the things she said that really resonated with me was how many magazine editors don't even realize their own value you're an ambassador of a world-renowned brand. You're out there every day helping to shape that. And the first step is to kind of realize that and own it and then communicate it out and help others understand that. So there's a lot here for you. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, I would like to introduce Ms. Stacy Statterman. So I'm here with Stacy Statterman, leadership and career strategy coach and part of the Forbes Coaches Council. How are you, Stacy? I'm great. Great thanks, to be here. Thanks for joining us. We're um, at Stacy's home in uh, New Jersey, right near my home as well. Um, I wanted to start out a little bit. You are a career coach. You're helping people sort of with what's next with their career. Is that one of the focuses of what you are doing as a coach? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what's kind of cool and very meta, as I was saying in the pre-show, was Stacy actually has a magazine background herself, comes from more of the advertising side of business. Yes, I was on the uh, marketing and advertising side for over 20 years. Yeah. And uh, majority of the time really loved the journey I was on. Uh, but it's uh, definitely informed why I focus on what I do in my coaching and why I did the pivot that I did. So... Walk us through a little bit of that history. Where were you at and kind of what were some of the roles you were at? And then I definitely want to get into sort of you seeing these signs. What, what was the name of your uh, your recent it was talk or lesson? The uh, Oh, I did it. A... You don't have to bleep it out. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. I think my career is dying. Yes. So you could kind of tell us a little bit about walk us through where you were at. And then at the moment when you said, oh, shit, this industry is dying <laughs> or my career is dying. Yes. Yeah, I happy to. So I worked at Time Inc. That was my first magazine job. It wasn't quite right out of school, but I loved the brands. I loved what you know the magazine business was about. I had studied advertising in college, and so I you know spent a few years at Time Inc. But I moved around like a lot of us in magazines uh, have that history. 
and spent uh, time at Condé Nast, Meredith, uh, Scholastic. I worked at Fast Company. I really, uh, the only place I didn't work was Hearst. Um, but you know, for me, I primarily focused on things in advertising marketing and ad sales. And I eventually landed in uh, corporate ad sales for about 10 years, which was the last 10 years I was in the media business. And as I said, most of the time I really enjoyed, you know, the clients I was working with, the people I was working with. It was, you know, incredible to sit particularly in the timing offices and, and look at the way we were impacting culture and sort of being right in the, you know, the news and, and uh, kind of on the forefront of everything that was going on in communications from politics to sports, to entertainment, I mean, really very cool vibe for a really long time. For me, what I started to notice over time was the, the kind of things I was being asked to do, you know, I just kind of was, was changing slowly over the years and the relationship, uh, you know, the relationship aspects of the business you know, it wasn't as, as much of the time that I was spending and there was certainly more, you know, um, spreadsheets and emails and excessive meetings. And, and honestly, you know, in retrospect, once I stepped away from the business, I mean, there was a massive effort to tr- sort of triage an industry. And I don't think I really completely understood that until I stepped out. I remember taking a class at Rutgers after I had left media and I turned to another former colleague of mine. I said, oh, my God, this is really on the last, <laughs> yeah. you know, last legs here. And, and what was the, just to give us a, a, a sense of context, what was the approximate date? Like what you're speaking uh, about? This is probably, um, this is probably like 2012 yep. maybe. Yep. And I remember thinking this is, we are much sicker than they've been telling us. Mm. And I, you know, I get it, you know, we, you know, leaders want to keep people motivated. So I think we were messaged, um, for a long time in the business that things would be okay. It doesn't really seem like that's happened. And I think a lot of us have, um, you know, had to, to make some hard choices and take a hard look at what we're doing because uh, not everybody's ready to retire and uh, walk off into the sunset. Yeah. And many of us have to keep going, you know, professionally. Uh, so I, you know, personally was never afraid of making bold moves. And what I recognized, which has motivated my pivot, is that there's a lot of people that have trouble um, figuring out how to how can they make a bold move or how can they make a move out of a track that honestly I think many people many of us me too expected to be in for the entire you know lifespan of my career yeah you coming from the sales side I'd love to hear your perspective on sort of what changed I mean obviously like you could go real high level and be like well the, the advertising collapsed but I think like the narrative a little bit is the duopoly of Facebook and Google taking all the money out and things going digital and those ads not make, did you see like, I guess what I'm asking is from your perspective on that sales side, were there some mistakes that the magazine industry made that they shouldn't have? Perhaps it was impossible to to see where it was going, but I'm just kind of curious what your perspective was on sort of what happened. Yeah, and I don't think the magazine industry is alone in this, I think the advertising agency uh, model is also challenged by the same uh, poor decision making. Didn't act early enough. I remember, you know, being at Time Inc. at the uh, very at the very beginning of the internet coming into some kind of something, and there was a choice that that the Time Inc. leadership could make about getting more invested in that, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And and things were just too late. And I, I, I certainly think it was a mistake and it's been written about by a million people to 
uh, make the decision to make content free yeah. on the web. And it's been very difficult to unravel that because we've trained everyone to expect everything for free. So some people and now are, you're trying to implement these paywalls and yeah. like everything is implementing a paywall and it's like, well, I've got $10 here, $10 there, $10 yeah. there. And now all of a sudden you're having to compete with that rather than at the time saying you're already spending $20. Like let's yeah. paywall that off. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. We should have listened to HBO yeah. <laughs> early right. on, but uh, you know, no matter what company you're at, it's not really, isn't really just a timing problem by any means. I think uh, everybody just sort of acted too slowly. And some of that I think was driven honestly by, people uh, in leadership who were looking at something that was going to impact maybe their personal experiences. And, you know, look, we're all motivated by what's in it for me. It's nothing wrong with that. That's a very human thing. But I think in this case, it really got in the way of a relatively small industry with a few key players at the top in terms of companies making decisions that everyone else picked up. Uh, And so then, you know, then enter Facebook, Google and and, and those big players. And, you know, you you, you essentially have a vacuum going on at the same time as some slow moving decision makers. I, you know, I remember being in a room with a a leader in an organization I was working with when the iPad came out and the person said, can't we just ignore this? And I thought, oh, God, like that's the kind of thing. Right. And there wasn't just that. There's everybody, every organization seemed to have a series of gaffes like that where they just were too slow. Yeah. And so here we are. So you're it's 2010s, give or take. You're feeling I mean, it was bored, scared, both. Uh, For me, I, I think it was looking at the you know, horizon yet to come and to recognize that I, gosh, did I want to spend 15 more years doing this? Uh, if it got more like this, (laughs) you know, it's going to be less fun than it is right now. And certainly recognizing a slowness to some of the embracing digital in a, in a smarter way than, than really went down. Uh, I recognize that I probably can't make another 20 years in the magazine Mm. business without being, really uh, comfortable with essentially crashing on the beach, you know, more frequently and dusting myself off and getting back on the board and recognizing that the surf is full of sharks now and all the conditions have changed. Yeah. You know, I think we, um, I know this was certainly the the culture of Time Inc. that, you know, there were expectations that you would walk in that building at 22, 23 years old and walk out at 53 with some, you know, good bank and a, and a pretty good life. And hell, maybe, I have a pension. I was there 2007 <laughs> through 2014. I have a little mini pension uh, that exists. I mean, it's like, but, but yeah, I mean, people don't stick around long enough to get gold watches anymore. It's just not happening. And it's not, stru- it's not structured. I mean, obviously right. the company doesn't even exist, but the, um, I think the mentality was certainly even among people that are around my age, that that's what they would, would have happened. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I was never, you know, stuck to a track to want to just pursue the track above my own fulfillment and happiness. So I quit jobs and I asked bosses to fire me and I did some things that were bold. But a, a lot of people, you know, are, are grappling with the reconciliation that, that that future that they had been predicting isn't really turning out that way. Yeah. And so it becomes a choice. I mean, as a career coach, I often will talk to people who are not necessarily wanting to give up on magazines, but they're not really sure how to keep going in magazines. Right. And there, it is possible to keep going in magazines, but you have to understand that it's not going to be quite the experience you would have had if this was 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. And I think some people have the worry that 
even if I do get another job in media, what if this is the last one and I'm just entrenching myself further in a world where I'm saying I do this thing that no longer exists, you know, like back in the day, am I getting the last blacksmith job on earth while everyone's driving cars and no one's, you know, I think that's kind of the worry is, am I, should I commit to this or should I pull off the mandate now and go? Um, in your case, did you decide to end it and, and move on or was that decision sort of thrust upon you in terms of, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something else now? Yeah. My decision, my decision to leave was, um, kind of my decision to leave was encouraged because at the end of the day, my division was sold. So I was working for American express. They owned travel and leisure, food and wine departures and executive travel. Suddenly the bank had to be compliant with non-banking business ownership rules and we were sold. Yeah. Uh, but before that, uh, about a year before that, you know, I had had the feeling for probably even a couple years before that I needed to do something different. There were a limited number of jobs in that small portfolio. They were great jobs, but they weren't open that often. Mm. And so I, you know, I looked around what were my options and I was like, I don't think I can just stay here till retirement. I mean, this isn't yeah. not possible. So I started to, to work with a coach um, because I was finding that I was not giving enough attention to this. What is the future for me? And did some exploration and uh, realized that it might be uh, a good move for me to just engineer myself out. And I was yep. in a position to make a recommendation that would eliminate my position. And I knew that that was a, a way also to give myself some runway because in leaving a bank after 10 years, I would have severance, hopefully, and it would give me some cushion to figure out what's next. So for me, you know, along this journey, I was working with a coach because I had this awareness that I had been thinking about doing something else for three years, probably. And I think the la the thing that finally made me uh, embrace getting some outside help to, to map things out was I was sitting in a Time Inc. national sales meeting with 100 people, the same meeting I'd been in every year the whole time that I had been embedded there as an Amex employee in the team. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm at the same meeting again. Mm. Here we are. And the speaker was uh, this guy, Rashad Tabakawala, who's a big deal in the advertising industry and a futurist and very well regarded. And in his speech about whatever was going on with advertising that was relevant to our business, he said, you have to remember that the future does not fit in the containers of the past. And I was like, oh, my God, that's genius. <laughs> I wrote it down. I came back to my office, I had mugs made, gave them to my team, and I just kept repeating that to myself. Like, the future does not fit in the containers of the past. I can hang on to this old container, or I can build a new one, or I can find a new one that will uh, be you know, forward-thinking and future-oriented, and I don't think it's gonna happen if I stay you know, attached to the organizations I was attached to. Did you know what you were going to do next? Did you have ideas? I mean, did the fact that that phrase resonated so heavily think like, wow, maybe this is what I want to do is use phrases like this, motivate people the way that that motivated me? Uh, great question. You know, I didn't initially know what I wanted to have happen. I mean, I had come out of the past 10 years with a lot of partnership experience. I had done a lot of work co getting companies to collaborate in a, in a you know, highly uh, bespoke way. Um, I wasn't a traditional ad sales person or publisher or 
anything that was real uh, a typical definition of, of job responsibilities. I had kind of a unique background where, you know, it would have limited uh, application in other publishing companies. So I knew I could probably go to Condé Nast and do the same sort of thing I was doing. But I had worked there before, and I didn't really enjoy it <laughs> very much at all. So uh, I had to start to really deconstruct what did I like doing, what did I not like doing, what did I want more of, what I want less of, and go back to the basics. And I think that's, um, you know, was in- incredibly valuable to me because it h- helped me realize I really did like working with people. I was, you know, the go-to person if you had a career problem. I was the go-to person if you were having like a political situation with with people you were working with or clients. Um, I always had, uh, you know, a line of people kind of leaning on me for that. And so I tried to figure out, so where does that have application? And I had always thought coaching or uh, recruiting or something in the professional development space would be interesting. I just didn't really know how to get there. And so that became part of the work that I did uh, as I was, you know, exiting was to understand what was involved in making that my move. But along the way, I still looked at things that were the expected places for me to go, like ad tech or MarTech or something in insights and analytics, because of all the background that I had in, um, in targeted advertising development and things like that. Um, but what I noticed was I wasn't very interested in those meetings. I w- I, it was very hard for me to bring energy to those conversations because I thought, oh, my God, this is just another shade of the stuff that I was doing before. And I was ready to do something with a bit more of a meaningful contribution. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not somebody who's sort of down on advertising by any means. I think advertising is like a super important, critical part of our culture. We don't know things if stuff is not advertised, but there are so many um, challenges with the business from a, you know, do the right thing perspective. We are in such a transactional um, you know, creating a lot of panic. That's the, that's what the business has really become about. And I just didn't want to have more time spent in that kind of environment. It's interesting. This the, I think a lot of folks that are at this moment in magazines, there's a confluence of things, right? So there's there's the industry kind of maturing in a way that isn't so healthy. Let's say there's you've been in it for a while, so you kind of are a level of seniority, salary, respect, other things that's kind of harder to match if you end up crashing on the shore. And then there's also this thing that happens as you get further in in life, which is that kind of search for something meaningful, help people. I think it's an interesting, those three things come together. And and I think, sure, advertising, uh, telling stories. I mean, if you do, there's certain levels of journalism, perhaps people at like Time Magazine, for instance, might say, well, I'm, I'm telling people I'm, I'm making a more informed electorate. I'm helping the democracy. But I worked at Entertainment Weekly and Billboard and others where really I'm entertaining people, but that's not the same as like waking up and saying, I'm helping people. I'm really kind of making a difference in lives on a more personal level. And I think that confluence of things makes it there, there, it all adds to that strong desire of, if not today, soon, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be this. Right. No, 100%. I mean, for it's, it, I talk about this in my oh shit yep. <laughs> class. 
there is this intersection going on right now, which is the business disruption meeting the personal disruption. And the personal disruption, I would call the old midlife crisis sort of stuff. You know, what am I doing? Waking up one day wondering, you know, is this what does this mean? Those are, you know, age old questions. But to have them happening at the same time, you see industries under such distress. I think that's why it's even more. Uh, crisis moment for people because they can't just kind of float along in some job or some, you know, industry that will just kind of protect them while they go through their emotional, you know, journey. But it does mean um, that for anyone who's feeling, you know, stuck and, you know, has that anxiety, can't sleep, all those things that come up, it's about taking the lead on, deconstructing, you know, what matters most. And and I do think that that's a gap in general. I don't think, you know, I think there, I don't think a lot of people necessarily walk into their career in the early days and go, oh, the reason I'm doing this is because I want to inform the community so they can make better decisions, or I want them to be entertained and have some stress relief in their life. I don't think people really think about their career planning, uh, usually at all with regard to those filters, but it's become an, an imperative to do that. Because all of the surroundings, all the conditions, all the containers are all changing every five minutes. So the only way for you to stay on the board is to know what, you know, what keeps it stable for you. And so uh, that's a big part of what I work with folks on. It's a big part of what uh, has powered my journey. And, you know, working in your own business is like a totally different, you know, level of uh, challenge. And it's uh, those, you know, those guiding principles and those, those observations I've made about myself have absolutely contributed to me thriving in a business now for five years. Because I could have washed out, I could have gotten frustrated, I could have had a lot of reactions to things I didn't expect in the journey of in being in my own business. So a person makes a decision, either they make it on their own or it's made for them. I, I suppose even if the decision's made for you, the decision that you do make then is, do I go back into media or do I go do something else? One of the steps it sounds like that you did or that you recommend, again, this meta thing now that you did slash that you recommend as as a coach um, is to really kind of figure out, well, what are the if I break down, OK, this was my job, but what were the things I actually did or what are the things I liked slash was good at and, and rather than than specific job functions? broader way to view that is that sort of the, one of the first steps you should take to kind of say what are the other things available to me yeah 100 percent. the metaphor that i use is it's kind of like you've been eating lasagna for 20 years 25 years 30 years and it's been an amazingly satisfying meal and you've eaten it every day for years and years and years you know in, under different company uh, circumstances perhaps but maybe the meal is not so satisfying anymore because the quality isn't good. But there is something about the flavor profile that keeps you in it. But um, if you only look for your next thing by looking for the label lasagna, mm. you're probably going to just find the quality is still not there because of the way the industry has changed. But if you understand the flavor profile, you really can. Um, you'll be surprised at how many other places you can go. It may be Mediterranean food, maybe it's baked manicotti. But most of us don't really focus on the flavor profile thing, which is really that discovery, what is it I like to do? What is the what are the things I want more of, what I want less of, what are the skills that are my preferred skills? What is the difference I'm trying to make? That's all that flavor profile of the, the lasagna. But where people get stuck, and especially when they're under stress because they've lost their job or they feel like they're gonna lose their job or they're 
waiting for an ax to drop is they often get really um, panicked about, uh, you know, getting something else arranged and having security. And the idea of security is a strange thing because that is not, that's the elusive thing. Security is elusive. So the best way to create security is to have a better compass, understand that flavor profile, understand the kind of uh, things that you really want to build into that next experience because your brain, and this is like, you know, a little brain science that, that uh, I wish I had dialed into much earlier in, in my own journey. You know, there's part of your brain which only cares about survival. It will do anything as long as you're, you know, breathing and have basic needs met. It will keep you in an, an uncomfortable place because you are surviving. And that's the benchmark for that part of your brain, that primitive part of your brain, your limbic system. But the other part of your brain, which is, um, you know, the, the, where thinking and higher thought and all the work you actually do in your professional life, that part of your brain really wants uh, different things and wants to, to pursue that fulfillment and whatever else. That's the part of the brain that needs to be empowered in your journey because that's what's going to, you know, help you find connections and see how to translate skills from here to there. Um, but when we're in, under stress, that primitive brain really tries to drive the bus. And so I see a lot of people who will, you know, get pushed out of magazines from this company and they'll work as hard as they can to get back into essentially the same kind of bad situation. And then they're upset about it. Uh, and it's not a terrible strategy as long as you know, okay, six months from now, I'm going to be looking for another job or it could be just a year here. Um, you know, that's okay. As long as you want to get back out on the board and just know that that's what the routine's going to be like. But for most people, I see much more, you know, much more interest in trying to figure out something that's got some longevity. Um, it may not have stability because I think that is elusive, you know, across many, many industries, but, right. um, you know, knowing how to broaden the range of things that you can look at, uh, is certainly a valuable thing. It will protect anyone who wants to work another 20 years. This disruption is impacting lots of things, not just magazines. And I think, I think you, you hit on it, the word security being a big part of it. Um, you know, finances is a big part of, of, of all of this and it can, you mentioned you were able to get some kind of severance that, that helps. But one of the things I think, and I talk to folks is, okay, so I'm going to go back in, but once you make that realization, you can go back in, but maybe go back in and think this time I'm going to sock away some money and I'm going to start the work on figuring out what the flavor profile I like, not just the, the actual dish maybe go back in if you if you're at square one but realize like you're gonna wind up in the same place so maybe now start the work so that you've got the the finances taken care of sure get the paycheck but start the work and don't just assume okay now I'm good again I'm gonna make it to 57 and get my gold watch yeah hundred percent I think the mistake people make around finances is twofold one is if you have been working at a company and especially if you've been there a long time and maybe there's been bonuses and stock options and other things and big salaries because at the time, you know, your role as a top person in an editorial brand that was influencing millions of people warranted a really big salary. Those options are not as easy to find anymore. Um, but knowing really how much money you need to live and create the life you want to have and sustain life, I'm not saying live minimally, but most people I talk to have no idea how much money they really need to 
you know, put the kids through college, you know, make sure that you got money for summer camp to do the things you want to do, not live minimally. So oftentimes when I ask that question of clients, they go, well, I guess I could live on, you know, X dollars a month. And that attitude is, this is the wrong perspective too. This isn't about minimal. It's just what it was, what's the goal. Right. So that's one mistake people make is they don't really know how much money they need to have coming in on a quarterly basis or, or a monthly basis. And the other mistake that pe- people make is they don't um, use the opportunity to create multiple income streams. I mean, this is the bigger conversation that's going on outside of the magazine industry and, and media in general is really smart people who can see the disruption across many, many industries know, like, I got to have you know, maybe some investments in real estate so that I have, you know, rental income. Maybe I've got to, you know, have an ownership stake in a franchise. Maybe I've got to start um, a side hustle that's kind of related to the primary work I'll do. Being able to have multiple income streams and multiple plans is the security. It's not really ever going to be about probably even a single business that you own or, um, you know, a job that you may get that, you know, maybe the same salary you used to get before, or maybe it's a reduced salary because I do hear more and more that there's salary reductions that are out there and in, in the magazine space for sure. But having multiple ways that, that you can drive income to your family and to your life is the way to create the security. Yeah. And having that diversification also, I think, take some of the the, the pressure off of like this identity of like, I'm a magazine person. That's like all I do. And it being like when that's gone or taken away, you feel like, well, now who am I? I think the more you diversify, yeah, there's a revenue, there's a income standpoint of diversification that makes sense. But then it's also sort of like, well, I'm no one thing. I'm me and I make up all these things. And if this one's less, yeah, financially, but also personally, right? Like I'm not just a magazine editor. I'm a human and I have multifaceted human. Yes, definitely. I think the other uh, kind of a riff on that perspective is to understand how rare you are in the scope of the workforce. I mean, if you have been working on a nationally recognized, globally recognized brand as a you know person who you know guided the business performance or guided the the content strategy or the brand strategy, you are incredibly rare and. Another mistake that I see, particularly around people who establish consulting rates, is this whole, you know, old stuff around a dollar a word and 50 cents or 25 cents a word. That is the absolute wrong way to build your consulting fees if you have some brands that you can use to show. Like I built, you know, the top brand in the pop culture space. I built the top brand in the business, you know, journalism space. Those stories are super, super valuable leverage when you're going out to establish yourself as a consultant that might work for a brand or may work for, you know, Facebook or Google or anybody, because there's hardly any of you around, you know, hardly any people who have done these um, these really top brands that that we see from, you know, certainly from um, people who've gone through the Time Inc. experience or Meredith or Condé Nast. If you've worked at those companies, you have very rare experience. So remember that sometimes we have proximity, you know, we, we get clouded by that. Ra- we, we don't see the rareness because everybody we know has that same level of um, brand association. But when you put yourself in the, in the, you know, the bigger marketplace, there's, I think, 700 million people now on LinkedIn, for example, and about 160 million or so, I think, are here in the U.S., compare yourself to that population. You are very rare. So I I remember working with um, 
somebody who'd been editor in chief of two of the most popular, you know, magazine brands in the pop culture space. And I asked her, we were actually pitching a, a consulting project together. And I said, tell me about your rates. And she told me her rates. I said, never use those again. Her rates were less than mine. And I would argue she probably had three times the cachet because of the brands that she had built that, than I did. So I said, don't use that. First of all, it's going to mess up my rates. But it, don't use that again. You're building from like the bottom of the barrel you know, rate perspective. And that's not going to be good for you or, by the way, any of your colleagues that are trying to do some of the same thing. Which is why the financial thing is great because financial desperation can put you in a position where you're going to do something you know is stupid, but you're like, yo, I need that money. A hundred percent. Yeah. Conversation after conversation I have with people that maybe come to the same realization of like, I have a skill set that translates. I remember in one of the pre-show conversations we had, you mentioned brand ambassador. You know, you're a brand ambassador when you're the editor of a magazine. I went and changed my LinkedIn and put brand ambassador. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think one of the issues is Okay, so now I know this and I've, I found some things I think I could do, but translating that, translating my editorial history into something that's going to be interpreted by the brand on the other side, someone at a T-Mobile or at uh, Hewlett Packard, and being able to s translate that, those skills in a way that they're... That's an interesting challenge, and I think a lot of folks, probably on both sides of the aisle, I think even at the brand, sometimes they're looking for someone who's sitting before them, but they're not able to hear that this is the person I'm looking for, and vice versa. The person sitting before them is like, I can do this. I am the person they want, and I'm not able to communicate that. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious if you have any thoughts on the tactics of how you're able to translate that. Is it just trial and error? Is it a lot of conversations? What do you do to be able to say, I can now speak marketing or brand journalism and translate my skills into that? Great question. The key things that people need to think about when they're trying to uh, show how editorial skills apply to things that are not traditional editorial roles is to you know, really deconstruct the work that you did as an editor. And I, one of the things that I find when I talk to people who have been in editorial roles is they're really wrapped up in the jargon and they don't uh, do a great job of tra translating the jargon. Nobody knows what editor-in-chief is. Nobody knows what television producer is outside of the industries in which those job titles are associated. So you really have to translate what does that mean? You know, and I know what it means. It means you're the one that's the decider and the protector of the the consumer audience that you're serving. You know, you won't let poor decisions be made about compromising the relationship between the brand and the consumers. That's the same thing that any brand who wants to sell anything to anybody needs, um, you know, guiding their ship. And one would argue, I definitely argued this all the time, that as marketing becomes more complicated and fractured and, and it's very difficult to get people's attention, authenticity and doing the right thing for the customer is more and more and more and more important, which is why we're seeing so much more content in brand strategies for you know companies that sell products to people. Stories matter. Stories are the way um, the human being remembers stuff. This is like a key leverage point for anybody trying to market anything. But as an editor in chief or a managing editor or anything with the, those titles, people really don't know what that means. That's one piece. The other thing is if you have worked on a brand that has recognition and has some glamour association with it, there are going to be lots of people who work at lots of industries that think you will never be happy with their boring old widget company. 
And they don't understand what's going on with the magazine business, really. Lots of people have no idea what's going on. They still see the magazines out there in some way, shape, or form. They see the websites. They have no real understanding often that um, it's a totally different experience now. So you're going to have to um, help them see why you can be happy supporting a brand, why you can find uh, fulfillment and, you know, growth opportunities, stepping away from the things that per- are perceived as being really glamorous and exciting all the time. Now, of course, we all from the business laugh about that because it hasn't been all glamorous and <laughs> fun and exciting for a long time. Uh, but really translating uh, the fact that, you know, it's not the reason you're doing this is not for the glamour. I mean, obviously, there's some fun in that, but it is really about uh, delivering a service, and that takes some translation also. So if there's a person listening and they're either hustling for the next freelance gig, maybe they're sitting in a magazine job that they've had for a while, but it's not fulfilling, or they lost their last magazine gig and they're sitting listening to this and they're on board, they need to get the ball rolling. They got to do what's sort of, what would you tell that person? What's the first step? What should they do right now so that they're actually taking action? Like they're sitting there, they're ready, but they kind of don't know where to begin. And, and maybe they're a little bit apathetic because currently they're not in such a bad spot, but they know it's coming. What's the first step? What do they do? What would you tell that person to do? A very simple thing that people can do to start to lift themselves up out of this quagmire is to surround themselves with people that are doing that. It's easy to stay in the conversation of, isn't this terrible what's happened? And isn't it awful and all the pain of that? Really easy to stay in that. It really doesn't help you to stay in that too much. There's a time and a place, have a couple beers, whatever, but move on and find some people that you can connect with, create some support structure, those who have made pivots, pulled themselves out. I mean, obviously I'm a big advocate for working with a coach, but it doesn't have to be a coach to help you work through this. There are lots of ways to do it um, by working with other people or, or sort of modeling yourself after other people who've made that change. It takes some effort and it does take some time and, and patience um, and carving out you know, space. This is um, something that can be like having a second job if you're in a job. Um, but what most people you know, find drags them down the most is they don't have consistent actions towards whatever the new objective is. And they're not monitoring the outcomes from the efforts. Like there's nothing worse for me to hear uh, when I have somebody call me when they've said, oh, I've uh, applied to a hundred jobs. I've sent out a hundred resumes and I've gotten nothing. A hundred is far too many things to send out without changing your direction. Optimize, optimize, correct when you don't uh, get the response that you're looking for. So you're a business of one. We are all businesses of one. That's absolutely the new culture of work. And it really doesn't matter what industry you're in. That's uh, that's the new norm everyone's working with. So Stacy, so what's going on next with you? How can people get in touch with you? And what do you have working that you want to share with folks? Uh, thanks for asking. I have a few things that might be of interest to this group in particular. Obviously, I do one-on-one coaching. And so I have a limited uh, number of slots that I work with folks over a period of four or five months to, you know, map a plan. What's great about working with magazine people is they're all really smart. If you're still like associated with the business, you're really smart, you're creative. And mostly um, what I'm here to do is help you use those amazing resources that you've used for other things and apply them more directly to your own journey. 
Um, I do uh, several times a year work in small group settings. I have a, essentially renovate your career work groups. These are like masterminds of other people who are in your same journey. Uh, we collaborate together in a, a sort of a virtual classroom setting so that um, everybody can log in from their pajamas and be working on this stuff um, uh, as a group. And I've uh, had a lot of folks gr find great success in, in working in that kind of environment. And of course, you know, t check out my website, stacystatterman.com. The spelling of that, I'm sure, will be in some show notes because we'll it's it too hard. Um, but I always, uh, you know, I'm always building new things uh, to to help where I see gaps. You know, I'll probably revive my oh shit, um, I think my career dying uh, webinar and masterclass, you know, several times over the next few months. And, um, you know, I'm always open to a conversation. I mean, working with a coach starts with, a conversation to see if there's chemistry there. And I love helping this community in particular. And I think of this community a lot when I'm, when I'm designing things, because I've, I, I feel like, you know, there's a, a lot we're all suffering as a result of not having the people from the magazine industry deployed across business more fully. And that's not good for anybody, not in this time. We need um, those voices and those creative minds out there uh, in, in a lot of other ways. Stacey Statterman, Leadership and Career Strategy Coach. Thank you very much. Thank you. Be well.